0: Welcome to podcast episode 80. This episode is with best-selling author, Amy Edelstein, who joins me to speak about spiritual travel and her brand new book, Adventure in Sanskar. If you've ever wanted to travel to Sanskar or are interested in meditation retreats, this episode is for you. Stay tuned. Welcome to Girl About the Globe, a podcast for you as a solo female traveler. Empowering women to travel solo with maximum Adventure, Minimum Impact. Welcome to another podcast episode of the Girl About the Globe podcast, empowering you to travel solo with Maximum Adventure, Minimum Impact. Today I'm joined by best-selling author Amy Edelstein. Amy is originally from Pittsburgh and is joining us today to speak about her brand new book, Adventure in Saskatchewan. I'm sure that this interview is going to give us some amazing insights. So, welcome, Amy. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this.
0: There is so much that I want to talk to you about, so many different topics. But if we just start at the very beginning of your journey and just how you became an adventurer,
1: I've always traveled. So ever since I was a young child, I had the good fortune to travel. My father would work in different countries, and they dragged the family. And I started traveling alone when I was fifteen, and oh. left the country for the first time on my own in when I was seventeen. And I went off to Asia when I was twenty and had my twenty-first birthday in Nepal. In a little hut uh, across a lake. So I had to canoe over to get to my where I was staying and canoe back for cooking supplies. And that was the beginning of four years of adventure in the northern, in Nepal and then the northern states of India. This, the book Adventure in Zanskar, was one two month period out of those four years. So I spent a lot of time traveling alone in days before cell phones and GPS and internet where you didn't know where, you know, you heard about some great place to go to, but you didn't know if it still existed or if it was possible to get there. I think that where was could,
0: the best time to travel, wasn't it? Before mobile phones, yeah.
1: You could really get away in the way yeah. that you can't now. You you really were uh, off the grid in a way that allowed for adventure and wonder and magic, and I just had so many extraordinary experiences meeting other travelers, meeting people who lived in the areas I was traveling in. And i I was the recipient of so much kindness and generosity. So um, for your women who want to travel alone. Uh, I know it's, it's a little unnerving in our world now, but there is a tremendous amount of kindness
0: out there. That is so true. So your book, this is actually your sixth book, isn't it? It's not your first one. And it's called Adventure in Zanskar, A Young Woman's Solitary Journey to Reach Physical and Metaphysical Heights. It's been described as taking us into the heart of one of the most powerful spiritual places on earth. I'm a spiritual traveler myself, and reading your book really entices me to visit this destination. So why does it have such a spiritual importance? And also, why does it have such a spiritual importance to you?
1: Zanskar is the oldest continuously Buddhist valley in the world. The Buddha actually traveled quite a lot. Most people associate him in North India around Gaya, which is where his large monastery of 10,000 monks and nuns was but he did travel all over he was said to have gone as far as kashmir and went down as far as sri lanka the zanskar it's uncertain when it became buddhist but it became buddhist uh, many centuries before tibet became buddhist and it was a mixture of the Bon religion and the tibetan and and the buddhist religion and then adopted more Tibetan Buddhist characteristics uh, about a century later. So it's been Buddhist for about 2000 years. And it's geographically very isolated from the surroundings. So it's the westernmost corner of the Tibetan plateau and it's ringed by very high mountains so it's hard to get into. And the people there live more or less a subsistence life there's a short growing season they have some crops that they grow barley and some high high mountain wheat and a few other you know small vegetables and root vegetables and yaks and and goats and sheep so it's it's a very it's a very interesting place it's a magical place and and what I think is unique about it as a place as a spiritual destination for anyone and also for myself is that the people there really live the the values of their religion so it's so embedded in the culture over so many hundreds of years that people don't make effort to practice their religion it's just a part of life and I was able to understand a lot more about some of the principles that I was learning on retreats and from different teachers and from reading books just by being there and watching them interact and watching their generosity and watching their equanimity and watching their lightness of being and feeling their acceptance of the ups and downs of life in this very easy way. That was to me, the most extraordinary part And what I really tried to bring out in the book so that people could have a visceral sense Mm -hmm. of what a real Buddhist culture was like. You don't have that in Tibet anymore because of the Chinese takeover in 1959, which really uprooted the culture in in such a dramatic way that it, it just will never go back to what it was. So Zanskar and Ladakh, which is the valley next door, they're unique in that way.
0: It's such a shame about Tibet. That's a country that I was meant to visit a few years ago, but the Chinese government changed the rules Two weeks before I was due to visit, so I wasn't able to go. So when I do go, obviously it's not going to be the same as it, as it originally was, which is such a shame. Tell us a bit more about Buddhism. I came across Buddhism when I was in Australia, when I was 21, and I attended a Buddhist course, and it just opened my eyes. Correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't a religion as such. It was more of a philosophy and about believing in yourself and about kindness and compassion. And then when I traveled to Thailand, the first time that I went into a temple in Thailand, I just felt as though I was at home and I just felt so peaceful. And so whenever I was feeling a bit out of bounds or unbalanced, which happens, I think, when you travel solo, I would then just go and sit in a temple and just meditate. And I find it so... I was going to say enlightening, but just it really helps to keep me grounded. So tell us a bit more about meditation and the benefits that you you find.
1: Mm, That's a great question and a great insight. And I also experienced that as well in my travels in Asia. And that's one of the fun parts about traveling in Southeast Asia or South Asia is there are so many places where it's okay to meditate. It's not a strange thing. It's it's part of the culture, and there are places that are open, and you have examples of monks and nuns going on their alms rounds, and there's a serenity and a and a non attachment that um, that enables you to let go in that way and to ground. And there's room in the culture for it, which is really. Um, it's really helpful, like you said, when you're a woman alone traveling, and you, you just need to settle into your own space. And, um, and you can uh, without any worries. What meditation, what you said about Buddhism, being more a philosophy or a practice, I think that that's really what True to the original text in the Pali Canon, which was the first text that was codified after the Buddha taught. And he taught until his 80s. So he really had a long, he gave a lot of discourses. And the main thing that he found, we all teach what works for us. And so what worked for him was he tried all these things. He tried these different paths. He tried these different austerities they didn't really work for him. And he really went to great lengths. And in the end, he decided to just observe what was most basic. So he observed his breath and he observed walking. So there there are endless stanzas of saying, you know, him watching the in breath as it goes in and watching the out breath as it goes out and all the different permutations of doing that or watching your foot as you lift it and watching your foot as you place it. And that's all in these original texts from over 2000 years ago. What he was really trying to do was penetrate the nature of mind, the nature of consciousness, human consciousness, what it means to be aware, what it means to be able to objectify our thoughts and feelings in order to to access a degree of non-attachment and understanding of the interdependent nature of all things. We all affect everything. Nothing arises in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And the way Buddhism sees it is nothing rises in a vacuum across lifetimes. And even if we're more bound to a more Western scientific or materialist bent, you can see, well, the plants are going to grow from the soil or they're going to grow from a seed and they grow. Everything has a continuity. Um, nothing exists in a vacuum. So the effects of our actions are constantly impacting, setting setting off ripples that have other causations and so in buddhism if you practice kindness compassion patience equanimity sympathetic joy and other virtues you're setting in motion positive ripples and those are going to have positive ripples on the outcome and so it's very in that way very scientific that's why i think it's well suited to western mind Of course, in Asia and the different countries, they've also developed religion around it. And so they've also developed different types of worship, different types of practice that might not be suited to Westerners. But at the core of those teachings, they're all metaphors for the nature of mind. So even though there are hundreds of different deities and there are detailed visualizations on these different deities and their different qualities and their different abodes and their different the flowers and the syllables and the mantras that go with them when you you work with very Um, committed teachers, what they're talking about, and what they'll explain is that this is really a metaphor for this quality of the human experience. This is really a metaphor for the quality of mind. So in that sense, even the most religious aspects of it are really meant to show us how to live a, a noble life. And when we live a noble life, we're happy. So it's all the goal is really positive com- communities, positive cities, positive interactions, and you know, the possibility of, of creating a world of harmony and wisdom.
0: That's so important, especially in today's world. It just feels as though it's full of conflict and chaos. And it's even more important, I think, to have the tools to be able to ground into practice kindness and compassion and more unity when it feels as though certain people in the world are trying to create more divide. So, from your book, I love how that fateful journey has actually led to many unexpected developments. And so one of them is your current organization, Inner Strength Education. And I read as well that you actually won a social innovation award for your work in violence reduction in Philadelphia. That all stems from mindness. Is that what you teach?
1: Yeah. So, the the insights that I've learned. So I started my own meditation practice in 1978 when I was in high school. So that kind of dates me for all your (laughs) listeners and I've continued it ever since. So I've done a lot of, I've studied a lot of different methodologies. I've researched and published on, on different systems of transformation or philosophy. And when About eight years ago, I really felt that I wanted to take the best of what I had the privilege to learn and translate it and make it available to individuals who are in life circumstances who won't have the opportunities I had. I mean, for one, the world has changed. It's gotten busier. It's gotten smaller. I don't think many people are going to take the number of years out to do what I did. You know, they are going to be few and far between. It was a lot more common even though it was never that common, but it was more common a couple decades ago. And I don't know that that's what's needed right now. We have a lot of pressing crises right now, and there's a lot of uh, suffering that needs tending to. But I built the organization Inner Strength Education to bring a three-month program into the public high schools in Philadelphia, where I live, which is one of the 10 largest cities in America, and it's the 10th poorest of the 10 largest cities. Um, it also has the very sad and unfortunate uh, as- attribute of being second per capita in gun violence in America to Chicago. Yeah. So we experience, and the schools experience, a tremendous amount of upheaval and suffering and unsafety. And it's really I know you have listeners from all over the world. It, you know, it, it's one of the things that I feel most um, sad about, really, with a country that is so highly developed and has so many people who are so highly educated and has really so much relative wealth that there are so many people. And young people living in intergenerational poverty at the level that I would see in India, so it, it's really tough. So we bring, um, you know, and a lot of the kids go to magnet schools, so they're very bright, they're very creative, they get into some of the better colleges, but they're carrying with them uh, the the struggle of um, what it's like when you live in a large urban area with a lot of poverty, which is often. You know, just systemic conflict and difficulty, um, as you can imagine. So we have worked with 17,000 high school students over the last eight years, and we meet with them for 45 minutes a week, an hour a week, one class period, and there's a set curriculum where they learn Seven mindfulness practices. They learn about 300 million years of evolutionary brain science and what that means about their responses and reactions. That they have this genetic coding that's been evolutionary built into their brains, and this is what's going on. So they can understand their reactions and responses, and they can get a handle on it. We teach compassion building tools, and we teach about the large scale culture shifts. Our life has gotten more complicated. But we have more opportunity for individual choice and agency. So in Zanskar, everyone wore the same clothes. They had the same fashion. They wore the same headdresses. They had the same hairstyle. They wore the same jewelry. They had the same shoes. They sang the same songs. They ate the same food. There was not a lot of uh, individual expression, but there was a lot more social support we do a guided visualization. We let the teens go back in time and and imagine what it would be like when life was simple and go forward in time. So they have all the things that they're used to and they can understand some of the downside where they feel confused and overwhelmed.
0: It sounds very similar to Bhutan. Have you been
1: to Bhutan? I have not, but I'd love to go. That's one place where I haven't been yet that I'd really love to go.
0: Yeah, when you were talking about everybody wearing the same dress and the same, um, obviously the same culture and the same building style, it's, it sounds very similar. You talk about wrestling with the demons of self-doubt and pride and trying to find meaning in a postmodern world. Self-doubt, I think, is definitely an emotion that comes up when you travel by yourself. I even had it before this trip and I'm an experienced solo traveler and it's very it feels like a constant challenge to kind of keep those negative thoughts away and sometimes it it can be a bit of a lonely place when you're traveling solo where you choose to kind of opt out of society to create your own path and find your purpose and your direction in life. Do you have any tips for anybody who's going through this and maybe feeling a bit lost and unsure how to navigate it? Sure.
1: Yeah. Self-doubt is, it's hard and it's always, it's all, you know, often one of those patterns of mind that's with us often and traveling alone, you have to make a lot of effort all the time and it's hard you know not people aren't necessarily going to talk to you you have to talk to them and you get tired of that or you get tired of meeting people for the first time instead of having somebody who already knows you that you can continue a conversation instead of starting over so it's tiring and and that that sense of tiredness can lead to a feeling of loneliness or questioning why am i doing this and wouldn't i be better off if i was happy and settled somewhere and so there's a certain pattern of thought that that kicks into gear and once it kicks into gear you can't really wrestle with it you know you just have to recognize oh this is a pattern of thought i've felt this way before i'm not going to talk my way out of it i'm just going to let it i'm just going to let the momentum die down. So it's a little bit like, you know, when you're on the bus and and somebody's playing a song, you know, that's really loud and maybe they have their earbuds on anyway, but you can still hear it, but you really can't stand it and it's driving you crazy. And the more you realize how much it's driving you crazy, the more you hear it. And then when you just open your book and read a book, you, you stop hearing it. You don't fight with it but you just shift your attention a little bit into something else and it'll die down of its own accord. The channel will change. Wrestling with it is, you know, you get stuck, (laughs) you you know, you stick your fingers in it and they're going to, you're not going to be able to extricate yourself from that. So I would encourage people when they're feeling that not to worry about it, not to try to solve it, not to psychoanalyze yourself, not to, look for all the ways you need to change or think about other lives that you would be happier. Just recognize it's just a pattern of mind and it's going to pass. Just like some days are cloudy. Some days are sunny. Just let the cloudy days pass. It's, it's okay. It's, it's just part of the weather. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything about you. It doesn't matter. It's not a fatal flaw in your personality. It's just a
0: habit of mind and it'll go. That's great advice. Can you share some insights from your book? I just want to say as well that you have such a great writing style and it's very descriptive and it puts you, it's very visual and it puts you in the place where you are. So can you share a few insights from it for our listeners? Sure. Um... Thank you
1: very much. The book was just nominated for a Publishers Weekly Ben Franklin Award. So I'll Thank hear you. in another yeah. month. So I'm, I'm, you know, it's one of three finalists for a travel book. So I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always loved poetry. So I, I love my writing to have that musicality of poetry, even though it's prose. And I like people to feel the emotion of the place and to, I wanted people to be with me in the journey. So I wanted them to be able to not just have empathy for the things I was either the highs that I was going through or the challenges I was going through, but I wanted, I wanted to evoke that same uh, experience or insight in the reader. So even though even some readers will never go to Zanskar, you know, not, not all my readers are travelers, <laughs> like your listeners are. Um, I've, I've gotten emails from people who say they were able to travel, you know, from the Midwest, and they were glad because they've never done a journey like that. And they never will. Um, so I want people to feel like they were able to go. And I also want people to feel like, even if they haven't had any experience like that, that the the human quest crosses, it doesn't matter what the, the external is an external and it gives rise to certain thoughts and insights, but those insights are universal.
0: I think that's the beauty there, isn't it? Of writing a book is that you transport the reader to a completely different realm. And I, I think that's probably why People enjoy reading travel blogs as well, even if they, they only get to travel once a year to a more mainstream destination. There's just something, some kind of escapism about being taken out of your comfort zone and being transported to a completely different place. So congratulations on being nominated. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. I'm excited.
1: I was pleased because this book, this book meant a lot to me uh, to write. It was, it was 40 years ago. Um, I still had my journals from that time I had written about 50 pages of the book a few years after I came back to the States and then for various reasons, it didn't feel like the right time to write it. And I I have always kept a journal since I was eight years old. But there was a certain point in my life where I I got rid of everything because I just wanted to be (laughs) free of the past. And I'm a little sorry, because there were a lot of uh, places I visited and stories that I learned and languages that I learned that I now know how I don't have the records of anymore. But this the the journals for this trip, I always kept. And I felt that it needed to be written at some point. I, I do want to write a book about time in Rishikesh in North India in wow. Uttar Pradesh, which is a beautiful place where I got to spend a lot of time. So that might be the next one. It, it'll probably be two or three books down the line because I have a few that I need to write about my
0: program right now. That would be really interesting because that's definitely another spiritual destination, isn't it? Where else would you recommend for spiritual travel? I, I personally think solo travel in itself is a kind of form of spirituality anyway, because it puts you in the moment and you receive whatever you're meant to receive at that time. You meet the right people, you Go to the right places, even if it's by accident. You stumble across a place that you're meant to go to. Would you recommend any other destinations for spirituality? Well, I think exactly what you said
1: is that it. it if you go with that intent to follow that unseen current mm. and to be open to what life is presenting to you, and and I I mean I encourage people to to write you know keep a journal or something yeah. because it helps it helps to reflect and it helps some sometimes also writing longhand just helps you realize the currents that are underneath in the way that typing out a quick email sometimes you miss the subtlety and the dimensionality of your experience so you know whether you're going to go to uh islands off of portugal or south africa or west africa or you know central america or places in the desert in the states or uluru in australia there there are many traditionally sacred places and i think it's worth visiting them but like you said i believe that really our spiritual journey is our human journey
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it depends on the eyes the lens that we're interpreting what wherever we are it is harder to have you know that spiritual sense or that spiritual uplift in a place that is very busy very downtrodden um you know a lot of modern city life is just mm-hmm it's it's hard you have to if you really want to meditate or you really want to explore then places that are a little slower than hong kong or singapore yeah. or new york yeah. i there i would recommend <laughs> if that's your goal um but i do feel that ultimately it's the lens you bring
0: true and there are a lot of great meditation centers as well aren't there that are off the beaten track actually in australia i did a a silent meditation retreat for 3 to 4 days in the blue mountains which was amazing and it's the first time i've ever done a silent retreat and i know that the standard is 10 days and you is it vipassana meditation is that that yeah and i know a couple of people that have done 10 day meditation retreats one specifically in thailand and he said it was just life changing so i guess for someone who finds it difficult to to know where to go or you could always go to a, a silent retreat and explore your inner journey somewhere like that i guess
1: yeah the nice thing about going to a retreat center whether it's thailand is an easy place to go uh, there are there plenty in india as well yeah. uh, There are both vipassana centers all over as well as tibetan buddhist centers or um the ashram scene tends to be more teachings and lectures and yoga and less, you know, less of a 10 day retreat immersion. It's a different path, but if you're, if you're getting going and you just want a place to be, what's nice being in a retreat center and ashram is you're surrounded by people who are talking about the same thing. So you're, you're given cultural permission to, ask questions. Well, what's meditation for? And what is emptiness? And are we trying to stop the mind? Or are we disassociating from the mind? And how does that fit in a modern life? And what does it really mean to have devotion? And is surrender a good thing? Or are you giving up your power? You know, all these questions that you have to wrestle with on the spiritual path. So when you're on retreat, you can you know, obviously when you're on silent retreat, you only explore afterwards or you have Dharma talks, but sometimes they do groups. I, I did a lot of Vipassana retreats when I was, for the first couple of years, and I did a three-month silent
0: retreat, which wow, once you get going,
1: I tell you, it nice. really goes fast. Really?
0: Mm-hmm. How did you feel at the end of that? Because even after the end of three to four days, when um, when we were told that we could speak, nobody spoke. Everyone was just smiling at each other. It, it was just this really blissful, happy vibe. So I can't imagine doing that for ten, ten times as long. Yeah, it's. It, I felt the same way. And really, what
1: I did is, I think two weeks later, I flew to India and did another twenty-day retreat. So, uh, and then I then I went and did more teaching. So that was really my life for many years, and it's once you start exploring there's an infinite amount to explore and you can find people who care about the same things and that that's really rewarding the nice thing about spiritual travel or being in a retreat center is usually people are it's a lot of solo travelers coming together so people mm-hmm. are very self-contained they're 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 there for their own reasons and you can interact and meet in a shared space. But if you need your own time, your own space, that's there for you, too. And that's also really nice for people on the road and traveling to to be able to be around people who also know how to leave you, leave you in your own space and let you be. Definitely.
0: And you mentioned that you're going to be writing another couple of books. Yeah. in connection with your with the work that you're doing because you've also got a show haven't you called the conscious classroom
1: yeah i do
0: um
1: i i used to i used to record i used to do a show we every two weeks now it's about every month just because i'm a little bit busy um we're working in 70 classrooms a week and i manage the i i both teach i teach Students, I teach teachers, and I run the whole thing. So it's a a lot of work right now. (laughs) I I miss my, I miss. I'm glad I had that opportunity for so many years to explore and be and not have deadlines. I'm not in that world right now. Oh, you need to take
0: a month off and go and meditate somewhere.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, my husband and I are building a small meditation center in North Portugal uh, because he has he's Portuguese um so we're really looking forward to that interesting which part of um whereabouts in
0: north portugal
1: it's exactly it's actually on the camino santiago the portuguese part which we didn't know but it's it's right on the north on the mino river it's there's a corner of portugal that's on the atlantic and right underneath spain so there's a there's a river that separates spain and portugal and there's a little corner where you cross the corner and that's the atlantic and that's where we'll
0: be amazing because Mm -hmm. portugal is actually popping up in quite a few different retreats if you if you google it there seems to be quite a lot of wellness centers and yoga happening there
1: There there are there and it's they're inexpensive it's a lovely country lovely people and it's a very simple life um there isn't that much, you know, you go to the, you go to the corner fruit market, you get what the local farmers have. Things aren't necessary. I mean, there's some things flown in from Brazil because they have a huge trade with Brazil, but if you're in a small village where I'm going to be, you're still living a very relatively simple life. You know, obviously it's very Westernized and modern and European, but it's, it's not, It's not filled with um, complexity yet.
0: It seems more traditional in Portugal. Much more traditional, yeah. So just before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to add about your book or your future books? Um,
1: Well, so everyone can find Adventure in Zanskar on Amazon or in bookstores, or you can ask your local bookstore to order it. I'm at innerstrengtheducation.org. You can find out more information about the program or amyedelstein.com. And what I'd really like all your solo travelers to to take away from this is, is just the encouragement to cherish your own exploration, cherish that calling that's that's inviting you to explore the good parts of the world to see the to see the goodness in different places and different peoples uh, to share of yourself to be generous and to be open to the generosity that's extended and I think that the more of us who who can really value that and appreciate that then we will be being cultural revolutionaries because we'll be doing something opposite of the fragmentation and division that characterizes so much of communication right now or at least it's what gets the airplay so i encourage everyone to you know cherish that which that calling that's getting you to explore and meet people you might not meet and connect and find the joy of of being alive because it really is a beautiful world filled with a lot of beautiful people
0: it definitely is i love that i love what you just said And I think that's the beauty of solo travel is that it it restores your faith in humanity, definitely. Thank you so much for your time, Amy. And your book is such an inspiration and an enlightening read. And I'll put a link to where people can get their hands on your book and a bit more about yourself as well. So thank you for your time and I wish you every success in the future. Thanks so much. It was a delight. And you can find out more about Amy and her book, Adventure in Zamskar, A Young Woman's Solitary Journey to Reach Physical and Metaphysical Heights, in the link in the description. Thanks for listening to our Girl About the Globe podcast, making solo travel easier for you. Find everything that you need for your solo travels at girlabouttheglobe.com and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.